carpro.com talk line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. This is something different because joining me now is Joseph Connor. Joe, let me just uh, catch everybody up so we can talk about the movie and the book, okay? Yep. So, Joseph's dad, Joe's dad, Frank Connor, was murdered by the FALN terrorists at a tavern one night having dinner, having a drink. And they caught him, and then they got handed clemency by the Clintons and Holders and Obama and Bidens and all that. They got clemency. And uh, they tried to give an award to one of the terrorists. But then, you know, this is bad enough. This is a guy trying to put his life back together. And then Joe, uh, I guess you were working in New York at the time, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So on 9-11, he's working at New York, and his uh, cousin, his father's godson, uh, is working at the World Trade Center when it gets hit by a couple of planes and it goes down. And now we have the story of how this all worked out and everything because uh, you've been looking for you've been looking for justice, you've been looking for cathartic, uh, some sort of cathartic uh, remedy, all these yeah. things you've been trying to do, and you've held it together. And you've got a movie coming out called Shattered Lives. You've already got a book. Tell tell me about how all this worked in the time we yeah. have, please, sir. Right. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for thanks for having me, and thanks uh, for introducing me to your audience. Yeah, my, my dad was murdered where, where George Washington bid farewell to his officers after the Revolutionary War. He was there with clients. It's actually in the middle of the day when they these terrorists, Marxist terrorists, um, who were trying to uh, subjugate the Puerto Rican people into another Cuba. They walked a bomb in and blew up Francis Tavern on January twenty fourth, nineteen seventy five. Um, we were going to be celebrating my ninth and my, and my brother's 11th birthdays that night. But, uh, you know, the, the terrorists were eventually arrested, rounded up in Chicago mainly, and uh, sentenced to long prison terms. They threatened to kill the judge, McMillan, at their, at their sentencing. He said if he could have, he would have imposed a death penalty on them. And that was in 1981. Um, by 1999, when Hillary Clinton was set for her run for senator from New York, where she thought she was going to be against Giuliani. Um, they, the Clintons and Eric Holder um, schemed to release these terrorists, um, grant them clemency in order to try to connect her with the Latino community in New York. She had no connection to New York where she was running, and that was the plan. Of course, like most things Hillary Clinton got involved in, it went south, and the terrorists refused the clemency that they were granted in August of 1999. They were given a month by Eric Holder and others. He was the deputy attorney general for Clinton, who was in charge of their release. Um, they were given a month to have conference calls between prisons. Um, and uh, finally, on September 10th, 1999, after there was a lot of uh, – a lot, of, a lot of pushback against the Clintons to rescind the clemency offer by the by us as family members, but also by the House and Senate. Um, they uh, the terrorists walked out of jail on September 10th, 1999. All except Oscar Lopez Rivera, he was the leader of the FAL, and he refused the clemency. And I ended up going to his parole hearing in 2011, and we kept him in until Obama and uh, Biden gave him a second clemency for the same crimes, unprecedented, on uh, January 20th, actually my birthday, um, 19, uh, 2017. And uh, that's when you referred to that they were making him the, that year, 
the uh, Grand, uh, not the Grand Marshal, but the Freedom Hero Award at the Puerto Rican Day Parade. So this is an extraordinarily sordid, disgusting political um, uh, quagmire, CF, as I really call it, uh, by the Democrat Party. You got to, in in order to try to deal with some of this stuff, you wrote a book called Shattered Lives, which has now been made into a movie. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I started writing it on September 10th, 1999, on the way home from work. Um, I was on the train and I brought my laptop and I was like, "Eh, I won't see my cousin, Steve. He was a bond trader, a canter. Like uh, he always had beers with him. He was going to make me have a few beers. I knew it. So I didn't want to see him. So I avoided him and started writing the book about my dad and the clemencies. And little did I know the next day that uh, Steve would be murdered as I saw the buildings explode out my window. Um, I was at 60 Wall Street at the time, and he was my dad's godson and only blocks from Francis Tavern where where my father was killed. So, um, you know, that that changed, obviously, the book, and it made it, uh, you know, much more difficult to get my head around Steve's death and all the implications for not only our family, but the country um, with terrorism as it is. And um, I ran it and Jeff Ingber, who wrote the book with me, had seen me on one of the Fox shows or something. And we ended up uh, collaborating and putting the book together. Um, It's a good book. It goes into the history of Puerto Rico and the U.S., but also gets into our family and the, uh, the murders of our loved ones and the political ramifications of uh of these terrorists being released for for just craven political gain and uh you know it still it still brings up william morales he's one of the fln members who is uh in cuba along with other uh fugitives from american justice like like joanne chesimard and uh victor garena uh, charlie hill and others wasn't tupac shakur's mom one of them it was, um, she was, Joanne Chesimard is Tupac's godmother. Um, she was a, uh, she also, Asanta Shakur is her alias, I guess you'd call it. Right. But, um, she was a member of the Black Liberation Army who shot Warner Forster on the Jersey Turnpike in 1972. And we actually have a, uh, a bill in front of the Senate called the Officer Forster Frank Connor Justice Act calling for their return from Cuba that uh, Robert Menendez of all people and uh, and Marco Rubio have co-sponsored. So we're trying really to push for the right. return of these terrorists. Yeah. So uh, for anybody interested in a longer form of this, uh, I interviewed uh, Joseph yesterday and uh, he was in, uh, if you're looking for the podcast to be lock and load with Bill Freddy episode 2869 hour one. And he and I spoke at length about this for an hour. But the thing I told him, and I and I would tell this to anybody, um, you have done, uh, you have immortalized these victims of terrorism, and and in 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 a way, you immortalize all everybody else out there that's ever been a victim of this. Because you know this this sort of falls by the wayside. Everybody remembers nine eleven, but who? Who do they remember on 9-11? It's not as personal. Well, you, you're right, and thank you. I mean, part, this whole effort was was really born from, you know, my father, his, his life was being disrespected by the president of the United States. Now it's Bill Clinton in 1999, and then by Obama later. And I find that absolutely intolerable. My father was a much better person 
than Clinton or Obama or Biden or Eric Holder or Hillary Clinton, for that matter. So he, he deserved a lot better than he got from his country. And right. so my, my goal was to make sure that he was not forgotten, that his life wasn't disregarded or used for politics by these by these scumbags, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, well, and, I mean, uh, and that's what they it is. are. And yeah, and uh, so you know, and that that's been the goal. And to that extent, I've achieved it. Um, for justice, bring Morales back. I mean, we had we had all the terrorists in jail. And look, if the, if the terrorists weren't released by the Clintons, you never would have heard my name. But they were, and um, they were used. You know, again, my father's life and death. And now I see Steve. Um, my cousin Steve Schleier killed on 9-11. He, they, now, you know, all the politics going on with Gitmo. Um, yeah. I see some parallels here. I mean, I've been to Guantanamo Bay and uh, and I've been in the room and, and I, you know, and I, I recognize that these terrorists could be brought back here. Well, listen, and I, once, I, once I, they're brought back here, they could be released. They, Don't yeah. be surprised. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 their thing, isn't it? Always catch and release. Um, I know that you're looking for a distributor for the for the for the film. So yeah. when you get that distributor for the film, I want you to come back and we'll talk about where the film's oh, going to be and yeah. help people. No, no, no doubt about it. And I want to yeah. thank Mike Duncan who put this together. You know, he yeah. wrote a book with me called The New Founders and NewFounders.net. Um, we also have WeWinAmerica.com um, and the uh, ShatteredLivesMovie.com if you're interested in any of this stuff. Um, it's you know it's out there on a few different websites and um, you know it's really a uh, it's been a lifelong. Um, you know, fight, struggle. Um, and thank you. And thank you for your audience for giving me the time and giving my dad's every time I mention my dad's name, Frank Connor on the radio or somewhere, it keeps him alive. And that's really important. Very good. Shattered lives. Be on the lookout for it. You'll hear from Joseph again. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you so much. Take yes, care. Sir. Bill. Yes, sir. Coming up next, your 401k. Somebody's drooling over that right this very moment. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. The carpro.com talk line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Here's another thing for you to think about as you go to the polls tomorrow. Here's another thing. See, it it has always been that this way. They haven't done anything about it yet, but they have been trying to figure out how to do it. They've always looked at your 401ks as this big bundle of money that they should be able to, and when I say they, I mean government. And let's look at what they have in place for us nowadays, right? Uh, living a paycheck to paycheck. If we had, a, you know, most play, some people, if they have a $1,000 emergency, they can't fix it. They don't have the money. Home ownership is becoming a fading dream. American credit card debt is at a record high because of high inflation and the cost of living, and they're falling behind on debt payments. And people don't have enough money for retirement. So what's the solution? Well, for some of the economists, probably on the, uh, you know, in government anyway, it's time to take away the tax benefit for 401k plans because the government is short on revenue to pay for their they're spending this so far beyond their reach that it's beside, you know, anyway. So the question is, what if they abolished your 401k? 
And we get this from USA Today. The federal government should stop allowing pre-tax contributions to retirement savings, abolishing the 401k and individual retirement account. Two economists from opposing ideological camps argued in a research brief in January. Allowing people to shelter their retirement money from taxes is a policy that largely favors the well-heeled, they said. Congress could use that money, nearly $200 billion a year, in lost tax dollars. Oh, could they could, could they? I'm sure. And, well, you know, what about the ones that earned it there? And I, I would love to know who these two yahoos are. Maybe we should do some Kavanaugh protests in front of their house. And $200 billion a year, that's that's a pittance toward covering the $2 trillion yearly deficit they're running in a supposedly great economy. So I have this novel thought for any economist or politician or bureaucrat out there. Why don't you guys look at the spending side of the equation instead of always seeking to confiscate more money from me and, me and mine? How about that? Could we do that? Would that be okay? Would that be all right with you? The OMB estimated uh, fiscal year 2018 would involve outlays of $4 trillion and revenues of $3.654 trillion, a $440 billion deficit. That's in 2018. And uh, real, real wages were rising rapidly, especially for those at the bottom. Inflation was low. Energy independence policies kept energy prices low, and the world runs on energy. Russia wasn't attacking Ukraine. Iran had less to fund terrorism and weapons. The border was much more secure. Trump was slashing regulations and lowering tax rates, which helped almost everyone. And by the end of 2019, poverty hit a record low. The individual mandate on health insurance was abolished, and people were again given a choice of what kind of policy to buy. Trump's policies were that rising tide lifting all the boats. But then we had COVID. Then we had COVID. And we got some erroneous CDC warnings and a lot of the private economy suffered. And in turn, the federal budget skyrocketed because of what is called emergency spending. And by the end of 2020, the economy was rapidly recovering, but somehow the emergency spending remained. So federal outlays in 2024 totaled $6.5 trillion, which amounts to 23.1% of GDP. That's up around 60% over fiscal year 2018. And this is a huge cause of the problem. And government never seems to be able to cut back once it starts spending. So what should the reasonable budget be when we no longer have a COVID emergency? And, you know, Emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards for individual liberty have been eroded. And when they're spending like drunk pirates, they are eroding your individual liberty. So um, if you look at what the federal government determined was reasonable for Social Security and disability recipients to receive over those same six years, per the cost of living adjustment website, it's an increase of 23.5% over six years. Ergo, the federal government should be able to survive on the same increase. So a reasonable budget should be around $5 trillion, not $6.5 trillion. That's a savings of $1.5 trillion each year right there, a substantial cut in the deficit. You know, we, we managed to get things uh, to get, we, we managed to keep things together fairly well for over 200 years without a Federal Department of Education. They, they have a budget of $68 billion with 4,000 employees, and as far as I can tell, 
They haven't done anything about student performance since they've been formed. They could go $68 billion saved right there. Eliminate all the green slush funds. It will do nothing to change the climate. Most of the $7,500 tax credits for electric cars go to people who can afford them if they want them. And we're subsidizing the wealthy so they can drive around in a fancy golf cart that will come to them when they summons it at the parking lot. Let's go and have a let, let's go and, and do massive cuts at the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and multiple other agencies who spend seem to spend a lot of time spying on regular people, you know. And cut the employees and budgets at NIH and CDC who spread so many lies about COVID. They don't I mean, if they're not telling us the truth, we don't need them. I, I haven't you know, get rid of the racist prevailing laws on infrastructure projects. That would save a lot of money because of competitive bidding. And instead of growing the welfare state and going along with that cloward piven strategy, make people physically and mentally capable of working work. And why do they keep hiring more bureaucrats when we're broke? Stop increasing subsidies and raising income eligibility levels for daycare, Obamacare, SNAP handouts. We're making it much harder for people to be independent. And close the borders, for God's sakes. We don't need to pay any more money to the United Nations and the World Health Organization if everything they were doing was such a smoking hot idea. They would, uh, you know, they would have done something by now that would have been substantial. And let's get rid of the resident. Because it's unconstitutional for, to forgive hundreds of billions of dollars in student loans. And stop making automatic increases to every agency's budget every year. Instead, give them a bonus if they cut it. If they cut the budget, incentivize them to learn how to run things more, you know, streamlined. And why why are they unlimited while Social Security has, uh, you know, cap federal government pension levels, they are unlimited. Social Security has a cap of $4,555 per month. And by the way, the resident receives that every month, despite how much money he makes. Anthony Fauci, who lied continuously, he started out with a pension of $414,000. So one of the reasons I brought Michael on is to show you all the various areas out there where they constantly get out there and uh, exempt themselves from reality. And that's what it is. They're exempting themselves from reality. When they pass a law, hey, they just want to they just want to make sure that you know we're we're held down as best they can it's as best they can it's always that way yeah yeah when we get back we're going to talk about uh Biden and the constitution because those two things don't go together do they this is news talk 989 word Constantly being gaslit, aren't we? Constantly. The carpro.com talk line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Streaming live on the WORD Facebook page. Right now you keep seeing the resident and he is dedicated to, you know, he tells you he's dedicated to preserving the norms and the laws of the republic. 
And when Trump comes in, everything changes and we all die. We're all going to die. Everything that we love will be gone. Which is, you know, this is, you call this projection. You call this projection. The norms that Biden's talking about, he's the one destroying that. He's projecting that. So the opposite is the case. When Trump overstepped his authority and was chastised, chastised by the court, he bowed to their authority. Biden, well, he does the opposite and he brags about it. On Twitter, Vivek Ramaswamy put out there, the Biden administration has mastered the art of constitutional avoidance, used the back door to accomplish what it couldn't do under the Constitution. Now, if Trump had uttered those same words, they'd call it a threat to the republic. From the blaze, Biden on student loan cancellation, the Supreme Court blocked it, but that didn't stop me. And that is example number one, of course, his student loan forgiveness effort. He ran on providing student loan forgiveness. And when he assumed, and nobody, nobody questioned him about that. Although that should have been very much questioned. Then when he assumed office, he tried to wipe away billions in this debt with a stroke of a pen, which was a blatant overreach of his authority. And before he did it, he and the other Democrats acknowledged it. that fact. He had There was no legal basis for him to do this. And he did it anyway. Now, why wouldn't Biden... Ignore the Supreme Court. The Democrats regularly attack the court up to and including threatening them implicitly and explicitly. Clarence Thomas, they've been after Clarence Thomas since the first day he sat down in front of them. And it was Biden going after him then. They threw a bunch of absurd accusations against him. And the type that even his most leftist colleagues reject as absurd and an attack on the court. Chuck Schumer, the guy who carries a gun in D.C., he's taken a number of swipes at the court. He tried to defund Supreme Court uh, security despite increasing threats to the lives of the justices. And he warned them pointedly they would release the whirlwind if they continued to make conservative decisions. Thankfully, of course, uh, somebody told the good senator that you don't have the authority to stop anything in terms of funding. And then there's the continual threat to pack the court. And I'm quite certain that if Biden gets a second term, he would try that. So Democrats regularly violate the norms, which that's a new thing, right? We're violating the norms, the norms. The norms are all important. Trump's against the norms. Well, Trump was against business as usual. That's the norms. Business as usual. The kind of business where politicians get they, they get rich off existing, off of voting. This is why you see, you don't ever see a bunch of these people getting out there and writing bills. You know, when, when you sit back and you're like, why, why didn't Trey Gowdy ever write a bill? Well, because he was running a lot of, uh, he was running, he was running some of those, uh, committees right that uh, Michael Letts was telling us about where you know when you're involved with a committee or something uh, people will come to you and they'll be happy to uh, you know help you out in exchange for some favorable considerations Democrats have spent the last decade violating the American law and norms regularly they've shredded the first amendment 
They've sent the FBI and Homeland Security after conservatives. They've labeled Catholics potential domestic terrorists. And they have lied to the court in their pursuit of Trump. The intelligence community is engaged in a multi-year disinformation campaign against Trump, and our justice system has been twisted out of recognition to destroy him. There's no justice coming out of DOJ now. Even when they do something right, I, to me, that's a mistake. They've made a mistake from what, what business of usual is for them. So if you add it all up, you get nothing less than a concerted effort to subvert the laws and the norms of the republic. And shredding the Constitution, and the cancellation of student loan is absurd. But it is hardly the end of the Republic, but it is a symptom of the larger effort to turn this country away from the rule of law to the rule of rulers. And those rulers will be members of the elite because they will destroy anybody else who defies them. And that's, that's going to be problematic because... Uh, I just don't think America's built this way. I think what they're trying to do, the fundamental transformation that Obama began, I think what they were trying to do was make it feel right and normal for things to go this way. And the, the, the biggest issue is this. We are, we are the, humans are at the top of the food chain. But like even the most, you know, even like a plant in a pot, when we feel the sun on our face, we turn towards it because we're free. We feel free. We yearn to be free. And uh, these guys, you know, it's never worked anywhere it's been tried. It has never worked anywhere it's been tried. Even, you know, during the Soviet Union dark days, it was it was very, all these guys walk is a tightrope. That's all they walk. Yeah, they're trying to make new norms now. The text line, the norms like men claiming to be women. Yeah. That's the new norm. They're trying to create a new norm, and all you have to do is just say no. That's, I mean, that really, it's, it's just literally that easy. That simple. But, uh, it, you know, the left is really good at two things. They're really good at talking out of both sides of their face at one time, and they're really good at it, it, with projecting. Projecting is always a thing. Always a thing. Anytime they're, anytime they get out of there and uh, say that this is happening or that's happening, most times because they're doing it. When when you got Pelosi out there talking about the tax cuts that enrich the rich and everything, and at the same time she's making, uh, you know, she's making one point eight million dollars off of a one hundred eighty thousand dollar investment. Uh, yeah, Nancy, I see how this works. I do. I get it. I completely get it, Nancy. I get it. You're right, but you're the one doing it. So, <laughs> you're the one doing it. So, uh, projection, Nancy. We, and we all know you're doing it. We all get that you're doing it. Ten, over the course of 10 days, we had three shootings that has completely derailed the media narrative on gun incidents. And we should take a very serious look at these just, just on the surface, just because it is so simple. So very, very simple. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD.
you realize literally everything I've talked about one way or in one way, shape or other, if you participate in an election tomorrow, you can have an impact on just about everything I've mentioned today. So don't, uh, tomorrow's voting day, I'm going to have breakfast and I'm getting in line and I'm going to vote. Without a doubt, I'm going to vote. With Kyle Rittenhouse, when Kyle Rittenhouse got out there and he decided to go attend a um, a riot, not the smartest thing in the world at the same time, if this was happening in Greenville, South Carolina, for example, I might would go could, and equipped in the same way if I can do it legally, right? If, there's, if I'm not breaking a law by doing it, I would probably do it. So I sort of see why he went and did it. But then, because he was a young Caucasian, when uh, he got out there and defended himself against three attackers, and you know there was a couple that he didn't ever engage, but three of them tried to kill him. They were all white, and he was he was named a white supremacist. And we saw his picture. We saw all this stuff. Now, we had three shootings in ten days recently, and uh, they weren't white Caucasians. And of course, they are getting memory hold now. The story just disappears, and this. You know, that's a secondary reality, right? It's it's actually the unintended consequence that we all we all notice now, and we've seen the the mad leftist media narrative exposed in all of its shame, as there have been a string of these gun related incidents in just a matter of days, like in Texas at the at the uh, Lakeland is it Lakeland Joel Olstein's church. The, uh, the, the would-be rampage killer made a very bad miscalculation with that one and walked in there with a weapon drawn and, well, got dealt with. Quickly encountered by gun-toting parishioners. Turned out to be a Hispanic woman who wanted to be a man with a number of male AKAs, a number of male aliases. Then there was the super, excuse me, the big game champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. They were having a celebratory parade, and uh, well, there was a shooting that took place there. And then, of course, it was the NRA that made this. And uh, we, if we'd only had assault weapon bans, and but then the facts came out: four arrests were made. Two of the shooters were underage, meaning that they were illegally in possession of a weapon. And uh, it's funny how they call for tougher murder laws is never invoked, you know, in this one. Later on, the other there were two other adults that were charged and named, but something was notable in the deviation because we didn't see a mug shot for a while. And you know what? It doesn't matter. These guys are black. It doesn't matter. It never matters. It never matters, up or down, good or bad. It never matters. They uh, said, we took the time to carefully consider whether to use booking mugs in the absence of other images of the adult suspects. Star policy is to use booking mugs only in the highest profile of crimes. So only 22 people got shot. Not very high profile at all. On to the next thing. <laughs> and the foremost used gun narratives are guns and legislation, race, police, and social motivations. Then we go to Burnsville, just outside of Minneapolis, where my uh, syndicated network is. Shannon Cortez Gooden. We have a violation of all four of those familiar media gun tropes. Uh, Gooden was a convicted felon, forbidden from owning a firearm, so gun law fails. Gooden was a black male with an avowed intolerance toward white people. Race, okay? Gooden uh, was one of was the one to kill two officers as well as a paramedic. So, you know, the police were not the systemic racist ones here. And social. He was posting social media of himself with guns. 
as a prohibited person and nobody was doing anything about it. And all three of those gun stories, we do not see the usual prolonged commentary from the news outlets. No blanket coverage. Remember Newtown? They camped out in Newtown for three weeks. Every morning, everybody got up there. Good morning. What another sad day it is today. When it got done, when they got done with that, everybody, 56% of America thought these, these kind of rampage killings in a school happened all the time. Because it was wall to wall for three weeks. And, you know, with these incidences here where we've got one would-be rampage killer, we got one shot, we, we had 22 shot, we had two LEO and a, uh, and a paramedic shot and killed in another one, no blanket coverage across the various sources, no extended days of revisiting the crime, no multiple displays on a broadcast schedule through news hours and primetime pundit programming. And in the midst of all these stories being downplayed, Anderson Cooper covered the case of a missing girl in Texas whose body turned up in a waterway. Suspect had been tabbed and arrested, and there was CNN boldly displaying the image of the alleged white killer. Violence isn't racial. There may be undertones and everything else out there, but violence is colorblind. It touches everybody on this planet. Nobody is free from that. Nobody is free from that. So, I'll just say it one more time before I go away. Tomorrow is election day. I'm going to get up. I'm going to have my breakfast. I'm going to be dressed when I go. I'm going to go out. And I'm going to go out and uh, I'm going to vote. I'm going to do my civic duty. I'm going to participate. I strongly urge you to do the same. You don't have to, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Just get out and participate because this is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And if we're not doing it, we're abdicating our role, aren't we? Yeah. I'll be talking to you guys on Monday. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.